tonight we have the privilege of having one of Pastor Aaron's dear friends with us. I've got to spend a little time with him today, kind of by coincidence. And I'm just going to tell you, Pastor Josh McCauley, his heart just bleeds out the love of Jesus. I love to listen to somebody that is just speaking out of the overflow. So all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa, I want us to give a good coastline welcome to Pastor Josh McCauley. Would you do that today? Thank you. Thank you. How's everybody doing tonight? Are we good? Well, today, I don't know, I'm confused. My time is 12 hours different to where we are today, so it's something somewhere in the world right now, so I, it's later than, than, than normal for me to be bright outside, so it's kind of evening time, but it's daylight. Whatever. Okay. Uh, I come from South Africa, which is a country most of you might not have known about until you realize that our sharks bite people last week, or try to. Um, the interesting thing, I was, I was looking this morning and I saw that the shark tried to eat the surfer on a Sunday. And I thought, what an interesting thing. Maybe our sharks could kind of teach your sharks how we get more people in church on Sundays. <laughs> we, could, uh, we could start a shark-biting evangelism school and just have people go, don't go in the water on Sundays. You know, I'm joking around. It's all good. Um, but... Uh, you, you, you won't know this about South Africa, so I'll tell you now. In South Africa, we allow our preachers to preach for two to three hours. So uh, I'm just so honored that tonight, Pastor Aaron has said, I can bring South African tradition to San Diego, and we can close service around nine o'clock tonight. And uh, I'm just joking around. Um, on the other hand, I, I really want to say this. Um, you have an amazing church here. And you have an amazing pastor, and, and um, he, he is someone I love dearly, and uh, I've known him for a long time, and uh, 20, maybe nearly 20 years, maybe more like 15, but here's the thing I want to tell you, you have the real deal. You have someone who is a genuine follower of Christ, and uh, I want to encourage you that this church is such an amazing church, and I'll tell you why, because... It is not geared around the pastor and his goals in life. Uh, I believe in big churches, and I'll tell you where I come from now, but, but many churches, their goal is a pastor's vision, which is 20,000 people and 5,000 seater sanctuary and so these things. But you know what the thing is? A healthy church is a church that sees the individual and says, our desire is not that we just grow big, but that you grow as the individual sitting in that seat into the fullness of what God has for you. And this church is passionate. You know, it's so easy for us as pastors who lead teams to just hire people for every need. Oh, well, we need greeters. Hire them. We need people for the parking lot. Hire them. We need people in the kids' church. Hire them. But let me tell you something. That's not God's plan. It's not scriptural. God's plan is that the body rises up, that each and every single person in this place sees God do a work in you and then a work through you, amen? And this church is, is something that I, I love because I truly believe that as God does a work in you and you start to let him do a work through you, you will see people in your life you never would have thought God could reach, be reached through you. 
and you just got to get him here and let him see what God's doing in your life. And when you get out there on the dream team and you're a part of making church happen, do you know something? Every salvation that happens, it's not about Pastor Aaron. It's about what you've done. You've played a role in this. And let me tell you something. This church is going to shake this city for Jesus because it empowers believers to rise up and step out in their calling. There was no such thing as employment in the early church. There was just, hey, we're just about Jesus and we're about getting everyone to know him. And the reality is this church is passionate about your health. And that's why I know it's going to grow like crazy. And I mean, I had so many people come to me as visitors today and say, it's my first time I'm coming back. It's my first time I'm coming back. And if you're here for the first time, I want to encourage you to come to First Steps with Aaron because you're going to hear just how amazing and what a story and a testimony this church is. And not just how good is the church or how good is the pastor, but they have an amazing plan for you. And uh, that's a special, special thing. I, I've encountered so many pastors of huge ministries. And if I said to them, what's your plan for John Jones in the back? They wouldn't be able to tell me, except for, I hope he attends and I hope he tithes. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this church, you know what? They're actually interested in you growing and you seeing God change you and seeing how God uses you. Amen. So uh, I'm proud to be here this morning and uh uh, I, I really, um, I grew up in church. My dad pastors a very big church that he started over 30 years ago that today is probably in excess of 40,000 members, uh, seats 7,000 people, has four services on a Sunday. Uh, it's a big deal. And uh, I want you to know that um, I have come to know almost everything there is about Christianity as far as what you can see on TV. Some of it's not that great, to be honest. Uh, but the reality is something changed in me when I encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his grace. And you know, I want to encourage you today as I share this word tonight that you need to realize something that God does not want you to serve him like a slave or a servant. He wants you to accept the new identity that you have in Christ as a son and daughter. And any parent in here knows there is a major difference in someone that you're, you employ and your child. I mean, it's a totally different dynamic and different relationship. So I grew up in a massive church, and a year and a half ago, my wife and I felt called to step out and plant a church. We planted a church, Redemption Church, that's, that's um, with 40 people, and I promise you, it did not feel like the call of God when we stepped out. It felt like a huge mistake. Um, the service I used to pastor was running 1,400, 1,500 young adults, and to step out with 40 people, let me tell you something, you, you better have the favor of God with you, or else you're going to be like, what have I done? But by the grace of God, we're seeing close to 400 people attending every, every Sunday now. And uh, we did not intend this, but it just happened, okay? So we tried to find a building to rent all over the city where we went, and we could not find one. So we, at the moment, are doing church in a club <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Um, it, is, it is a challenge when there's been a huge party the night before. Um, <laughs> We enter into some interesting smells and situations. But let me tell you something. You can take the grace of God 
anywhere and point people to Jesus and you will just see salvation and redemption happen. And our, our church is a testimony of what God is doing. I do not want to stay in a club. I want to clarify that. I really would like to get a building, okay? That smells good. Uh, that the carpets, all you're cleaning off there is just children's stuff, not adult stuff, you know, and like all that kind of crazy stuff, okay? So we're just grateful that we get to do church um, at the moment and, and God's moving in a powerful way. My, my topic for tonight is condemnation kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from 4 through 17, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. Paul is writing to us, and, and he, is, he, is, he is trying to explain to us the shift that has happened since Jesus Christ has showed up on the earth and died for all of humanity's sins, for our sin. And there is a change, and there is a new covenant that we have entered into. And so he wants to highlight the difference between the two. So it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verses 4, And we have such a trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us as sufficient, uh, made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Let me highlight this real quick. Does it say that he has made the church eldership? Ministers? No. It doesn't say the church pastor is ministers. No, it says us. Again, Coastline is about us becoming ministers. All of us have a ministry that God has placed within us. And so he says here that we're all ministers of the what? Of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. What was written and engraved on stones? It's only one thing in the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were written and engraved on stones, and Paul is calling this the ministry of death. In essence, what the Ten Commandments gives us as a humanity is death. Why? Because the Ten Commandments were not given so that man could live life and make himself righteous. The Ten Commandments were given to drive man to the end of himself so that he would need a savior. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, uh, the Pharisees had a problem with him because he was coming and proclaiming that they needed him, right? And he was like, and they were like, no, 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 no. We are keeping the law. We are doing all the laws. Do you know that in, in the Jewish faith, they have the Ten Commandments, and then they have hundreds of laws that follow that, hundreds of other things that they've got to do, how they've got to eat, how they've got to dress. Let me tell you something. Religious Jews are way more religious than us as the Christian church. They do a lot more to try and please God. They're way more committed than us. And the interesting thing to me is when the Pharisees encountered Jesus, they're saying, but we keep the law. So his response to them saying, we keep the law, is he then upholds the law to its highest level and says, okay, let me explain the law to you. Okay, even if you've thought it, you've done it. Okay, so now we hear the Pharisees getting quiet, okay? Because, you know, I've murdered a lot of people that way. I'm just going to be honest with you. A couple of them died on the way in the traffic, okay? Okay. Uh, 
he, he is trying to say to you guys, let me, let me explain this to you. And then, and then our Bible tells us that if you have broken one law, you have broken them all. One, te- one of the Ten Commandments, if you break one of them, you have broken all ten. It's in your Bible, I promise. So let me, let me give you an illustration of that. So, so we, fi- we finished service, and now you're trying to rush off to get some food. And you get pulled over by a traffic cop, and he says, you've been driving real fast. You're like, okay, uh, all right, officer, what is the fine? And he says, well, I'm going to take you to jail for five life sentences. And you're like, why? And he goes, well, you've just murdered hundreds of people, and you stole from all the banks. And, I mean, you're guilty of all of the laws. You're like, that's unfair. (laughs) Okay, that's unfair. But if he says, but I have a solution for you, You're going to listen to that solution. The law is given to point us to our Savior. You know, Jesus is all throughout the Bible. Do you know, it wasn't like God looked at this problem on earth and went, what am I going to do? You know that Jesus is all throughout the Bible. It's one of my biggest passions. You know, if you take the book of Genesis 5, uh, it's a very, very interesting book because it makes no sense. (laughs) Okay, It's literally just Adam gave birth to Seth, gave birth to so-and-so. Well, he didn't. His wife did. But, you know, as men, we take credit for everything. So, so I'm just joking. So he, he, he gave birth, he gave birth, he gave birth. And it ends up with Noah. It's the genealogy of Adam through Noah. And it's like, what is this doing in the Bible? Okay, all right, family tree. I guess it needed to go in there. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. If you take each and every single one of the names in their Hebrew which, and translate it into English by their meanings, it means this. It says this, man is appointed a sorrowful sinner, right? But the blessed God comes down teaching, and in his death, the despaired find rest. Story of the gospel. Jesus is all throughout the Bible. And I promise you, the more you realize it, the more you go, oh my goodness, he's alive. It is really no other name. It is the name above all other names. So, so here he is describing the law, the Ten Commandments, as the ministry of death, not the law. Someone said to me, what's the law after the service earlier? I was like, okay, we really have visitors here. I'm not meaning the law of the land, okay? I'm not meaning let's go break the laws of San Diego. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, okay? So he says, this ministry of death written and engraved on stones, if it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory, by the way, was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? He is separating the Spirit from the Ten Commandments, the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to say, for if the ministry of condemnation, meaning that in the Ten Commandments, its ministry, what we receive from it is death and condemnation. We are made guilty, right? If the ministry of condemnation had glory, The ministry of what does the Spirit do? It's a ministry of righteousness, exceeds much more in glory. Not just that our Savior is righteous, but the ministry is that you have been made righteous. You have been made righteous in God's sight. You have been made righteous to the degree that you can't even fathom. This is the ministry of the new covenant. This is what it is to be in Christ Jesus. Then he says, right, If we skip down, therefore, since we have such hope, 
We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, capital L, which is Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, we, we love that scripture in churches all around the world, where the Spirit of the Lord is liberty. Let's preach it in context, because we first got to get people established in their righteousness in Christ before they can find liberty. Because if you say, hey, how good are you doing? How well are you behaving? How, how good has your week been? High sin, low sin, no sin, you know, are you, are you doing okay? The reality is no liberty there. It's like, man, I'm caught. I'm failing God big time. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and we'll see that in Scripture now, we're all caught. The Ten Commandments can condemned the best of them. David was condemned. Daniel was condemned. Every single one of them was condemned. But the ministry of righteousness redeems us all, the worst of us. We're born a sinner under Adam. Hey, but we're born righteous in Christ. We're born again. It's such a beautiful thing. So we see this amazing battle going on in Paul's life. Now, I want to say this because uh, you need to understand the context of what's going on here. Paul was an amazing person, okay? And not just was he a good person, he was better than us all. And uh, let me tell you some things that Paul did. Number one, Paul was so committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ that was one instance in Scripture that's recorded where they stoned him, and the Scriptures say they stoned him and they thought he was dead until death. Now, uh, I'm not talking about the stoning that happens on the west coast of um, uh, out here, okay? We're talking about a different kind of stoning, all right? This is not a pleasant supposed experience, all right? This is, this is, this is, this is judgment in the fullness by the crowd in uh, the Middle East. And how it would work was they would get you down into the ground, and then they would start to beat you up, and then they would start to pick up big rocks. And uh, I'll, I see there's some kids here, so I'll keep it as ungraphic as possible. But basically, the rock met your head until what was on the inside was on the outside, and they deemed that you were dead, okay, because you were. And uh, many theologians believe that when it speaks about Paul having an out-of-body experience, it was tied into this moment where they left him for dead because they believed he was dead because he was not moving, and what was on the inside was on the outside. And it's basically a big rock pounding on someone's head on the ground as hard as you can. And the interesting thing is he comes back to life, gets up, and goes back to the same city to preach the gospel again. Come on now. Who's doing that? Okay. I, I am running away when I see a rock, not just after dying and coming back going, let me go back to the same people because they need to hear it again. They didn't receive it the first time. This guy is committed to the gospel. He is committed to building the church. You know, he was the most persecuted follower of Jesus on record. The most, the most amount of torture, the most amount of issues and persecution. I'm not talking about persecution, someone writing a blog, this guy's not preaching the right stuff. I'm talking about people trying to kill you. He didn't remain celibate because he was trying to deal with sin in his life. He couldn't get married because, and have a wife and kids because they would get killed 
He was like, I'm not going to let anything come between me and this gospel because if they have my wife and kids and they're going to kill them, I'm going to back down from this message. But if it's just me, they would come and say, oh, we're going to torture you. We're going to torture you, okay, to live as Christ. We'll kill you. To die is gain. There's nothing that could come against Paul. And this is what I love about our Bible. It shows you the inner workings of people so that you can relate. Amen. I need to relate to people sometimes. I need to see that they are jacked up just like me sometimes, that they have issues just like me. Because if it's all about these people conquering and doing great things, I'm in trouble because there are days I do not feel that way. So here he is in Romans chapter 7. Let's read it together from 18 through 25. Here's the interesting thing. Paul is about to describe himself in context so, so bad. I promise you, if someone wrote Aaron a letter today and said, this is what I'm dealing with, Pastor Aaron. This is how I feel about myself. This is what best describes me. He's going to get this and go, Josh, we've got a problem. Can we send him to South Africa for deliverance? Because I do not have the manpower or the spiritual power to deal with this person's problems. This person is so messed up. I literally want to say to them, you know, uh, we're not actually open for business right now. There's a church down the road that would love to help you. That's how bad he's about to describe himself. Let's read here. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform. Everybody say perform. He's trying to perform for God. He's on a performance track. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Hang on a second. How many of us, when we make a mistake, we go, you know, I didn't want to do a bad thing, but I just did it by mistake? Do you know how messed up it is to say, you know that evil I don't want to do? I'm practicing it. I'm actually getting good. I'm actually working on my evil game. Come on, this is the language he's using. He's being so transparent. He's like, not only am I doing it, I'm practicing this stuff. This is hectic, man. This is crazy. It's like if someone said to me, do you know I've got a problem, Pastor, with evil? Because that's a hard word. It's not, you know, a misunderstanding. It's I've got a problem with evil. I'm practicing it. You're what? Are you even saved? Do you know what I'm trying to say? So he's like, I'm practicing it. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, not his church members, in his body, his hands, his feet, his head, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into what? Captivity, not liberty, captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. How's this for a statement? Oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, he is not a guy going, you know, I'm just getting a few things wrong, but I'm progressing in the Lord. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is a dude with issues. Do you want to know something? Romans 8, as we heard in worship, and we're going to read together. It's one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. But you need to know something. It's not a chapter in the Bible that Paul wrote 20 years after Romans 7. You know, like in reflection, when I was young and lost and practicing evil. (laughs) 
I got myself sorted out. I changed myself. I put discipline and obedience back in my life. And now, 20 years later, after achieving great things and dealing with sin, I have now found the answer in Romans 8. No, the reality is Romans 8 is written with Romans 7. But yet Romans 8 has some of the most amazing scriptures we'll read. But what is it that changed? It was not Paul's circumstance. Okay? Nothing changed around him, but something changed in him. And the key is in Romans 8 verses 1. It says there, there is therefore now. Everybody say now. Now, Now, right now, in this moment, that I am admitting I practice evil. In this moment, where I am absolutely broken, wretched. In this moment, now, there is therefore what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, pause for a moment, right? There's an A there. Before we read the rest of the verse, there's an A there. That A is there to tell us something. Do you know that the rest of this verse, which is, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, was not in the original text? Paul never wrote that. It was added in when they translated it into the King James. What was actually there was this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Full stop. It's too scandalous for some people. What do you mean? But it's about how I walk. No, 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 no. Because we established in Romans 7, he's struggling with the walk. Okay? But the way to overcome sin is what? To understand that we're no longer under the law, but under grace. And so he is now receiving, what is he receiving? Grace, a righteous consciousness, a righteous identity. And in the midst of a circumstance where he is going, I'm wretched, I'm broken, I'm caught up in sin. In fact, I'm actually practicing this stuff. The reality is he grasps a revelation of who he is in Christ Jesus, a righteousness that he has not earned, but he has been given as a gift. And then in Romans 8, he starts to say the most bold things, scriptures we have founded churches on, that movements have begun on. And he says like, for example, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us. In other words, what I'm going through now is a breeze. This is easy. I mean, whoa, that's a big statement. Number 15 says, I mean, I mean if you, we did not receive again the spirit of bondage again to fear. Where was the bondage? We have not received that bondage. It was in captivity when we were dealing with trying to earn God's favor, earn God's love under the Ten Commandments. He says, we have not received that spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. He has brought us into family. You know, I don't know about you, but if any of you have ever adopted a baby, would you know that they don't really play a role in it? You do the paperwork, you're paying the bills, you love the kid. You brought them in. They didn't really earn anything. You just loved them. It was all dependent on your goodness for them, your love for them. I mean, Romans 8 has other statements. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called called according to his purpose. Another one, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, this is a man full of faith. This is a man with the revelation of God. But you know what? He first had to get the revelation that there is now therefore no condemnation 
for those of us in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say in verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, I, I thought about this. What is more than a conqueror? I'll give you a quick picture. Some of you might not have watched, but they're really good movies. The Rocky movies, well, I think they are. Um, and the interesting thing is, if you, if you know the storyline, okay, Rocky trains real hard for his fights. I mean, he's in snow, running without a shirt on. I mean, I don't know if it's to show off the shape he's in uh, or to fit in with the Russians, but he's running in the snow with his shirt off. He's hanging from beams doing these like full body sit-ups. He's sweating. He's literally killing himself to get in shape for this fight. Then he gets in the ring with someone better than him, faster than him, stronger than him. And he gets thrown around, beat up. His ribs are broken. His face is tore up. And he's literally fighting. And the whole time he's, Adrian, he's shouting, Adrian, it's for Adrian. Right? His wife, Adrian, okay? It doesn't sound like that because he speaks funny and still does. But anyways, um, uh, maybe it's all the boxing, you know. Um, But the thing is, he's shouting out, Adrian, Adrian, and he's putting himself through hell, nearly dying, and eventually he wins. Now, let's look at a contrast. Rocky, amazing shape, training himself to near death, fighting to near death, conquering. Adrian, housewife at home. Gained a few pounds, if we want to be honest with ourselves. Okay, eating a little too much pasta, okay? Hasn't had a run in 20 years since track day at school, okay? Uh, She is on the couch watching her husband fight, eating popcorn and, you know, drinking like a shake or something from whatever your favorite shake place is. And the reality is he fights, he wins, he conquers. He comes home with the check. He's like, it's for you, Adrian, for Adrian. Do you want to know something? On that day, Rocky conquered, but Adrian was more than a conqueror. She didn't do nothing. She was even greater. Because the reality is the Bible says that through Christ, we're not conquerors. We're more than conquerors. He went through it for you. He did it for you. And so that's what it is to be more than a conqueror in Christ. And then he goes on to say, finally, if one persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You know what's interesting? In that list, he includes angels, that angels cannot separate you from the love of God. Do you want to know something? (laughs) I, I like that because if you think about it, I can understand demons wanting us not to be loved by God, but I can't really understand angels. In this context, I can An angel comes to God. He says, God, I've served you for so far until this moment, eternity. (laughs) Okay. I know that's a hard concept and doesn't really make sense. But anyways, I've served you a long time, God. I've been faithful all this time in heaven. I've done all your bidding. I've never sinned. I've done everything under the sea. But you know what? I'm just really irritated that you love Josh. Because to be honest with you, he's not that good a guy. And he's not really that worthy of your love. And to be honest with you, there are times when he sins. There are times when he doesn't deserve it. You know what God does? God looks to his right, and he sees sitting at his right hand his son. But his son bears wounds on his hands and his feet and his side. And he says, you know, angel, I hate to break the news to you, but Jesus died on the cross for all of Josh's sin, washed it away for eternity. And because Jesus is here and will be with me forever, seated in the finished work that he has completed at the cross, I have to look at his wounds and tell you, angel, that the reality is even if you petition against Josh, it won't work because he is deserving and declared righteous by what my son has done for him. Paul lists everything evil 
and holy and says nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a very different confession to the Paul in Romans 7, to the Paul in Romans 8. Do you want to know what the difference is? Romans 7, he was focused on himself. I'm trying to do good, and I don't do it. I'm trying not to do bad, and I'm practicing it. Oh, wretched man that I am. But do you want to know something? You're to live your life with your eyes on your Savior, with your eyes on his work, on what he has done for you, fixated on who he is for you. And do you want to know something? That is a, that is a, a truth that has existed from the beginning. Do you know that in the beginning, and we'll turn in our Genesis chapter 3, the first question in the history of our Bible is asked. And if anybody knows anything about Bible, theology, and stuff, you'll know that the first time something is done or mentioned or said, it's a very significant thing. So in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go there real quick. We're going to see here, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2 through 9, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the... But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent says to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will have revelation, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, in fairness to Adam, I have to say this, uh, she was naked. And uh, (laughs) anyone who's married knows that's the way to get your husband to do what you want him to do, okay? So uh, here's the interesting thing. So the devil says, you will have revelation when you partake of the knowledge of good and evil. And We know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a picture of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is the fullness of the knowledge of good and evil. It is what is God's ultimate highest standard that only Jesus could live at. But it's a knowledge of good. But the thing is, it points out what else is evil. So when they partook of this fruit, they did get revelation, but it was not that they would know, uh, become like God because they were already like God. God had already made them in His image. The devil comes with a lie and says, you know, if you really want to be like God, the reality is you already are. But you will get a revelation. And what is the revelation when you partake of the knowledge of good and evil? You see the truth about yourself. It says that they knew that they were naked. So when you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, or when you make it about the Ten Commandments, you know what it does? It tells you you're naked. It tells you you got issues. It is a revelation. But it's not a revelation that's going to bring transformation. It's a revelation that will bring condemnation. And so they go through this thing where they're like, well, we've got to do something about being naked. Let's sew some fig leaves together. And then uh, the interesting thing is God comes into the garden and he calls to Adam. And now I have to tell you something. He knew where they were. But it's the question he has to ask when we put ourselves under the Ten Commandments. And that is what? Where are you? 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 Churches all across the world right now going, we got to live more holy lives. we got to live under the Ten Commandments. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. You've got to do more. Do you know what the focus then becomes? Where am I? Where am I, oh wretched man? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Are you doing enough? Are you performing enough? And the interesting thing is, in the New Testament, there's a first question that happens. And it's the answer to the problem that Paul encountered. 
Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 says, Now after Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea, the, day, the days of Herod the king, behold, a white man from the east of Jerusalem came in saying, Where is he? Where is he? All throughout Jesus' life, people who had issues, the woman with the issue of blood didn't go, have I obeyed the Ten Commandments? Have I prayed enough? Am I accepted enough? She said, if I can just get to him and grab his robe, his robe of righteousness, I know I will be healed. If I can just get to Jesus. And you wanna know something? Churches exist to point people to our Savior. Churches exist to lift up the name that is above every other name. Our pulpits exist to point people to Jesus because if they can just encounter Him, they will receive redemption. They will know that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they will realize that they are righteous, not based on their effort, but based on His effort. We tell people this, we say, when they're sick, what must they confess? They're healed. When they're poor, what should you confess? I'm right, I'm rich. But when you sin, what should you confess? I'm a sinner? No, I'm righteous by Christ Jesus. That takes more faith than anything. You know that the devil's called Satan And that means the accuser, his number one agenda with you all the time before we deal with sickness, poverty and all that is to get you to believe his accusation. Because if he can get you to believe that you're condemned in Christ Jesus, he's already got you. You won't have faith for anything because you'll be, I'm not deserving. Even if you pray on Saturday prayer for an hour, the devil can come and say, do you really think an hour is enough? Yeah, I haven't prayed enough this week. Let me tell you something. Your Savior's done it all. Oh, it wasn't even an equal payment for your sin. The Bible declares it an overpayment. I mean, exceedingly. It, is, it was so much more than you could ever imagine because God is always gonna have the devil be in credit to him. What Jesus has done for us, let me tell you, so powerful. If you'll just grasp the revelation of who you are, Paul says in the Bible, let me tell you something. Sin will not have dominion over you. Sin will not have power over you. Addiction will not have power. Actually, the word for sin there is not sin the verb. It's sin the noun, everything it represents. Sickness will not have dominion over you. Poverty will not have dominion over you. Depression will not have dominion over you. Because we're no longer under a covenant that says, am I good enough? We're under a covenant that says, I have made you good enough. I have made you please. I have made you a child. I have made you adopted into our family. It's all Jesus. That's our Savior. This is our new covenant. This is the testimony of what we have as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. He has rigged the game that you cannot fail. (laughs) He has rigged the game. You're a winner even before you take your first step. It's beautiful, isn't it? Let's just bow our heads. If you're in this place and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never prayed a prayer where you've said, Jesus, I want to give you my sin 
today. I wanna give you my broken life today and I wanna take from you my righteousness, my redemption, my healing and my wholeness. If you've never prayed that prayer before, this is a time where you're gonna encounter Jesus Christ and we are gonna pray a prayer and you're gonna just see your life change. And also this is a time if you're here and you wanna recommit your life, if you're just going, you know what, pastor, I, I have to be honest with you, my life hasn't resembled that of someone who knows Jesus and I just wanna come back to him today. I wanna rededicate my life. This is also for you. But I wanna ask you to do something bold. I want you to let me know that you are praying this prayer with me. So if you're in any of those two categories, whilst nobody's looking around, would you please raise your hand so I have the honor and privilege of seeing, amen, these hands going up. That's awesome. Once you've raised it, you can put it down. Hey, I'm so honored to lead you to Jesus Christ today. We're gonna pray a prayer. You can pray it out loud if you want. You can pray it in your heart if you want. But the ultimate thing is as we pray this prayer, Catch the heartbeat of God that he wants to redeem you, love you, and welcome you into his family. Will you pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me with all my sin and shame. By your blood, you have washed it away. All my sin, my past sin, present sin, future sin. Forever. And now I am declared a righteous child of God for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, raised your hand, please would you do the honor of letting us know by just writing it down in that connection card, that little piece of paper in your worship guide, and you can drop it in the giving boxes on the way out. We would love to know if you've made that decision. Number one, we want to pray over you and celebrate your decision. And number two, we want to see what we can do to help you, anything we can do to help you and love you. Can everybody just stand before we dismiss? And I'd love to just pray a blessing over you this evening. I hope you've had a good time. I've had a wonderful day today here at church and I'm just honored to be here to serve you and just point you to Jesus. But let's just, let's just close in this blessing. Father God, I thank you for this amazing group of people. Lord God, I thank you that each and every single one of their lives is so important to you. I thank you, Father God, that whatever they need, whatever they're troubled by, whatever issues or stresses are upon them, they can just give it to you today, Jesus, and take your rest and your peace, your joy for themselves. I thank you, Lord God, that as they go back into their lives, Lord God, that you go with them, that you protect them, that you guide them, that you provide for them, and that this week will be a week where every single time they face a challenge or an issue or the devil comes against them, they will just be pointed to Jesus and know that he has fully provided for every single one of their needs. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep them safe, in good health, as they go about their lives this week together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We look forward to seeing you back at Coastline next week. Have a great week, everybody.